Trowell, <laughs> podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. This is the second time I've made this introduction, but none of you will know that. Take three. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to roll with this one. Hey, in our first session, uh, we have been going through the statement on social justice and the gospel, but we've reached the end of that. But we certainly have not uh, reached the end of principles that need to be addressed, cultural well, realities. Why don't we just start back with the first article again? We could run it through again. <laughs> but what we want to do in this first session now is talk about different things going on in the world around us and then trying to bring the Word of God to bear on it. Today we want to talk about... We want to talk about the conference that is coming up here in our church January 3rd through 5th. Oh, announcement time. That's right. Yeah, so we've got the conference, which is going to deal with social justice. We've got Vody Balkum and Josh Bice coming in. It's going to be in sunny Florida, so wherever you are. It's warm. Yeah, it'll be better here than wherever you are, so you <laughs> ought to come uh, January 3 through 5. Bring and, your sunscreen. Yeah, it's, it's based upon Micah 6-8 which uh, tells us that we are to love just or love kindness, uh, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And so Vody's going to come in, Josh Bice is going to come in, Toby Sumter's going to come in, Jared Longshore is going to stay in, and I'll be here as well. And we're going to be addressing those themes related to that text and this whole question of social justice. So that's what we wanted to talk about first. Now we want to talk about... We want to talk about equality of outcome... And equality of opportunity. These are words that we hear used a lot today. And well, Tom, we hear equality used, but not always qualified with those. It's not uh, always differentiated. Yeah, that's right. So we talk a lot about equality. It's yep. got a uh, the term has a longstanding history in our nation, and uh, it's a very important topic for us to think about and try to think well about. So let's start with equality of outcome. We've got a lot of talk that people say, hey, you know, we want things to be equal. And what that means is we want as many women to be the CEOs of businesses in America as there are men. This is equality. If we're going to be a nation that cares about equality, this is what needs to happen. How would you respond to that when it comes to equality of outcome? That's absolutely idiotic. Oh, my. You hate women. <laughs> you are I don't. I love women. I always knew I love one woman better than the rest, but I love women. You love women. one woman more than everybody else? That's not equality? <laughs> I understand that. Goodness. I know, I know. Well, there's, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, it doesn't exist anywhere in the world. It cannot exist, and it would be a horrible thing if it did exist because it wouldn't be true equality. It would be coercion to make something look like it was good when in reality it's bad. Mm, sounds like equality, but it's a faux equality that actually destroys true equality. Exactly. So people have spoken of that kind of scenario as an equality of outcome. Yeah. That it, the outcome is that we have just as many women being CEOs as we do <clears throat> men, and then you're going to try to force certain things, put, put your finger on the scales so that you can produce that kind of outcome. And we could make it along a number of lines, make it along the lines of ethnicity, whatever, mm-hmm. and um, see that bad idea. So I've seen at least some conservatives then talking about inequality of opportunity so say hey we're not um we're not talking about equality of outcome we're just talking about equality of opportunity have you heard that i have heard that so what what's your general kind of explain what you think people mean when they say equality of opportunity i think what they mean is that nobody should be uh, subject to coercive forces that keep them uh, from having access to flourishing to 
uh, growing, developing, aspiring to things that are available in God's good world. I think that's what they mean. Mm -hmm. As I've heard the term, I've been trying to think about it, and the first thing that jumps out to me is if we're going to talk about equality of opportunity, we have to say opportunity for what? Opportunity to do what, to get what, to experience what? Mm. And uh, in that sense, I still think that the term's fairly dangerous because we're not defining the what. Right. I agree with you because there's no way, if uh, I could repeat my lifetime a thousand times, there's no way that I will have equal opportunity to play in the NBA that LeBron James had. Mm. And God didn't give you that. He didn't give me that. It's just not the way the world is Mm -hmm. because... This ain't no utopia. This ain't no utopia. To you quote that famous theologian, life. Jimbo Fisher. Utopia. I still need to figure out how that works into postmillennialism, but we, <laughs> we'll have to have another conversation. <laughs> Utopia's coming. It's, not, it's, work, it's coming. We're working it's up coming. into it. We're it's working coming. up into it. We're it ain't up here now. That's the By point. listening to the sword and the power. <laughs> the sword and the power? The sword and the towel. Don't throw in the towel. The sword and the trowel podcast. See there, if you get rid of some, By, some of those articles, you wouldn't have as much difficulty saying it. Oh, my sword goodness. And that's <laughs> the V that stumbles me. That's right. If if um, where was I? I had a Who thought. Who knows? I had a thought. This equality of opportunities is big, even if we're talking about um, equality of opportunity to flourish. We got some texts in Scripture that that would signal that's not a really easy idea meaning jesus says uh, if you're faithful with little well then you will be faithful with much you're going to be given more he who has uh, much will be given more he who has little will be well even what he has will be mm-hmm. taken from him so there's this way that the kingdom works so there is a sense where we want people to have ample opportunity to flourish right we want them to have lots of opportunities much as opportunities we can give them uh, by the grace of god and yet there's there's accountability, there's responsibility involved in what people do with the opportunities that they have, which should um, have some kind of result in the future opportunities that they have. seems yeah. to be that's the way God does it, and that's the way it would be good if society did it. Right. right. And I think what we've got to labor toward is um, trying to remove unnecessary obstacles that would keep people from good opportunities. And of course, that's an imperfect uh, work as well. We'll never get that just right. It'll never be just the way that everybody thinks it ought to be until the Lord Jesus returns because there will be inequities that are inherent in the world. Mm-hmm. So let's put up a little scenario. Let's say that I grew up in a very poor home in the country and uh, I only have one parent. So, And we don't go to church, so i got all kinds of struggles there's all kinds of home challenges that i'm facing and the school that i go to is just really not good at all and there's another guy that grows up in the city and he's got a family who loves the lord and he's taught in the classical tradition and i get to being about 17 and i think there's no equality of opportunity Mm -hmm. even for me to go to college and Mm -hmm. receive the same education that this other guy uh, is going to experience. So when it comes to equality of opportunity, if we really buy into that language hook, line, and sinker, can't I say, hey, if you care about equality of opportunity, you need to be able to fund my whole college experience? No, even then you wouldn't have the same opportunity because you don't have the same background, same experiences. However, the, the, the shift needs to take place 
in a way that that heightens personal responsibility. I mean, J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, is exactly what I was thinking of as you were describing that. Here's a kid, had everything in the world against him, and he had maybe just a sliver of an opportunity, and he took it, went to the military, went to Ohio State, went to Yale, became a lawyer, and he has exceeded uh, expectations abundantly from somebody given his starting point. Did he have opportunity? Well, obviously he did. Did he have as much opportunity as the second guy you described? Not at all. But he took personal responsibility for his life. One of the problems that I see today in this whole discussion about inequity and equality and equality of opportunity is that it just inevitably holds people down Mm -hmm. because it causes people to look around and say, well, yeah, I'll never have that much equality. I'll never have that much opportunity that this guy has. So no matter what I do, I'm starting from a different place and everything's focused upon this, uh, what others have. And it it just stirs up covetousness. Mm -hmm. You know, it stirs up a sense of no matter what I do, I'm never going to be where that person is. And that's deadly. Yeah, this is, I mean... It, it, this is such an important conversation because I imagine people listening would think, well, boy, I mean, we should care about that guy's education. And rightfully so. We should care about this right. guy's education that I've created his welfare. in this scenario. We should care about his welfare. We should care about him growing up in knowledge of the truth and knowledge of, of Christ. But I think if we're going to build off of the premise that he needs to have the inequality of opportunity to get that great education that the other guy's going to get, we're going to make moves that I don't think are going to be helpful to him and helpful to the flourishing of um, society in general. So I think we need a, a new way and just thinking of ample opportunity mm-hmm. um, and encouragement with responsibility and uh, and those who are faithful with little, give them more. That certainly sure. seems to be a strong theme that we see in Scripture. Which goes right back to responsibility, taking advantage of what you have. Uh, it, there's no end to this, and because it's a fool's errand to think that you can ever establish equality of opportunity across the board, I fear that what is happening and will continue to happen is a lot of virtue signaling. And look what we're doing and calling attention to what you think is moving toward that uh, goal that can never be attained. And people who don't do that then are opposed to uh, the genuine welfare of folks who are disadvantaged. Very good. Well, we're just thinking these things through. These are pretty fresh thoughts about equality of opportunity. If you have good articles or thoughts of your own, uh, email them to founders and they'll find their way to us. We'd love to take a look at it. book we want to talk about today is written by David L. Bonson. And David Bonson is the son of Greg Bonson, the late apologist who um, was involved with Reformed Theological Seminary, Reformed uh, theologian, uh, ethicist. I benefited from his books early in my ministry and have been fascinated to see what his son David has done. David is a financier. I think he runs uh, some funds and manages financial uh, uh, markets in some ways. He's involved in that. And he wrote this book after the crash in the United States in 2008, the financial crisis that we went through, that bubble burst. And he said he read everything that he could, all the books, all the articles he could find for 
understanding what happened, what happened. And of course, there are different boogeymen that people put forth, you know, well, this is the result of NAFTA, or this is a result of the, the elitist financial managers, or this is a result of big banks and the positions that they have in the market. And he said all those things have some, you know, reasonable uh, uh, foundation to be explored. But what he sees at the bottom of all of it is the blame game, that everybody mm. looks for someone else to blame, which he calls then this crisis of responsibility. And he deals with things from uh, the home life, uh, education, both in primary, secondary levels, and in advanced college levels as well, to show that this whole idea that I'm not responsible, somebody else is responsible for my plight, and that if you're encouraging me to take responsibility, then you're actually being oppressive to me mm. and just blows it up. And of course, he's a Christian thinker. He's a very experienced businessman. He's done well in the financial world, having come back from that crisis in 2008. And I commend the book uh, strongly. Mm. I, I think it's one of the best books of this year that have come out. Does the, he have any ways that he um, identifies ways that we're throwing off responsibility? Yeah, well, it goes right back to the garden. You know, what Adam did with Eve, you know, this is, you know, hey, this is the woman you gave me. Mm-hmm. You know, she gave me the fruit. It's her fault. It really was her fault, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, I, yeah. That's the one who passed her, it on to yeah, her. Yeah, I know. She was responsible for her sin. Adam's responsible for his sin, which brought the whole human race down. So, <laughs> you know, there's a, that's a whole other argument. But what Bonson does do is, he, yeah, we raise our, our kids in this culture to shield them from responsibility. So, you know, if you don't score enough points to win the game, we're going to give you a trophy anyway, and we won't keep score. Mm. Just all this stuff plays into uh, shielding our uh, children and adults from the consequences of their actions. That's a huge one, which, you know, as a parent with young kids, you know, that's not healthy. Mm. Your, Your child does something foolish that results in pain then that pain ultimately serves a good purpose for them. And you don't want to remove all consequences from their actions. You want them to see how the world works that God created them to be in and created for them. He has toward the end uh, 10 ways that you can cultivate responsibility. I just want to give them to you. He's got a lot to the right, several paragraphs on each one. But the first one is thoroughly repudiate defeatism and victimhood in your own life, even when you've actually been victimized. Mm. And man, that is huge. Two, completely rethink your perspective on higher education for yourself or your children. You know, today it's like everybody's got to go to college, and college is the panacea. Well, mm. not necessarily. Sometimes college contributes to the problems. That thing is going down so fast. That <sighs> college, yeah, it's just it's massive, man. It's massive. We need to talk about. We'll that talk more. about that in the future. Three, prepare your children for economic self-reliance. So teach them while they're young uh, how to be producers. Four. Consider reengaging the lost world of local politics. And uh, he makes a case that's been made before that you know, perhaps who's elected sheriff is more important than who's elected president. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the uh, understanding of the authority of lesser magistrates. And so get involved locally. Mm, can you break that down? Just give us a 30-second law of lesser magistrates. Yeah. So if the uh, federal government says we're going to, uh, or the state government says we're going to ban handguns or any kind of gun ownership, then your local sheriff should say, not here, not here, because he is closer to the people, he's more responsible to the people, and so he is to serve and protect the people, even from enemies within. Mm. 
So, so the guy that's closer to the people, that is a governor, mayor, has the authority. right and responsibility. And authority. And you find, what's the ground for that? Is it a natural revelation argument? Or we have special revelation in Scripture for that case? Yeah, I think it's natural revelation. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm I'm uh, coming up blank here on the specific Calvin spells this out. Yeah, Calvin right? does do it in his institutes that um, those closest to the people, representative of the people, have the greater responsibility to the people mm-hmm. in protecting them, and the greater opportunity to do that as well. Yeah. yeah. So he goes on to say, flee the cult of home ownership and home price appreciation in your thinking and behavior about real estate. You know, we buy a house for uh, investment. He says, don't think that way. And sometimes it's wiser to just rent. It's a countercultural way of thinking in our mm. day. Reject the social safety net when you can and choose the more challenging but fulfilling path of self-reliance. So if the government's giving handouts and you think, man, I, I qualify for these handouts, I should just take it unthinkingly. He says, don't do that. You fall into a pattern in a way that is ultimately going to undermine what is best for you because you're not owning responsibility. So this is another mm-hmm. huge one in our welfare state day. Find joy in production and not consumption. We are a nation of consumers, and he says we ought to be working toward being producers. View and treat family as the economic building block of society. He has some great things about just doing things that will cause and provide avenues for your family to make money, You know, mm-hmm. to show that you produce things and you sell them or you uh, provide services that bring uh, an economic bonus to you. Administer your own personal finances proactively, defensively, opportunistically and prudently so know the state of your flock Mm. keep an eye on what's going on financially and then finally be a generous charitable giver and jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive and he sees that and describes how that benefits the giver in multiple ways so that's the book crisis of responsibility david bonson In this segment of the podcast, we are looking at the Ten Commandments before they were actually inscribed on tablets of stone. All the Ten Commandments are found either in their prescription or in punishment for their violation prior to Exodus 20, Mm. which indicates that the Ten Commandments were not something new that God thought up at Sinai, but rather they are a revelation of what God has regarded to be right and true because they are a transcript of his own character. Mm, so we're on the second, yeah, eternal. Eternal moral law. Yeah, they don't change. So the second commandment then, where do we find the second commandment prior to Exodus 20? Uh, any indication that this was a requirement? Second commandment that we should not make any graven images. Mm-hmm. We hear in Genesis chapter 35, these words, chapter 35, verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So there were evidently some idols, some graven images, some foreign gods 
that Jacob knew ought to be put away. He knew that these gods were contrary to the standard of the one true God. Yeah, and he put them away in honor of the one true God in obedience to him, Mm. which would go right to the second commandment. So no graven images exists even before the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And remains a sin today wherever it is violated. Applications for us today, we may not be dealing with many people in uh, 21st century America that are actually carving out these little figures and worshiping them. But what are the applications of this graven image uh, law for us? I think for us it goes uh, to the way we think of God and the temptation to imagine God or God to me. God to me. That's my a, God, my God. Yeah. Mm. And we do these things and we let things other than what the Word says, other than Revelation, determine how we view our God, how we conceive of our God. So graven images exist all throughout Western civilization, but they may not be in the same form that we see other places, other times. Mm-hmm. There's a great danger to create God in our own image. Yeah. So we need to constantly come back to the Scripture and say, uh, who is God? Uh, How has he revealed himself? And then worship him uh, in spirit and in truth. And how is he to be worshipped? Yeah, it's our worship according to what he prescribes and not according to our own wills and own determinations of what we think might be cool or best or um, attractive to others. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, you can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org.